0: Well, I came here for just one drink. That's all I got now, don't you think? No that's right, to that's how it all gets started all here at the Rusted Blow. Nail Speakeasy, Just One Drink. Oh, Welcome I to Cross the Line 1524. We're recording with a live audience as usual. Sit back, relax, and join Dwayne Bischoff. Jeff Montag, Reuben Hunt, and myself, Alan Stanger, for the Common Man's Podcast, Cross the Line, 1524. That's right, it's another night here at the Rusted Nail Speakeasy. I'm Alan Stanger, here with
1: Dwayne Bishop. Jeff
2: Montag, Reuben Hunt,
0: and straight from the History Channels, Beyond Milk Island, we have on the phone
2: christian blake roper
0: all right so how are you doing tonight christian
2: i am wonderful um i always love the opportunity no matter how big the show how small but just being able to share stories over an evening so i, I love opportunities like this
0: well you know that's kind of what that's kind of how this podcast got started we we look you know believe it or not we like talking and we have a couple cocktails while we're doing it and uh most of our stories are true so
3: (laughs) some stretched a little yeah
0: some get
1: stretched some have been exaggerated a little bit
0: yeah so for our listeners who don't know who christian is um obviously uh we did an interview uh, a month or so ago with maddie blake maddie hosts a new show that was a spawn off of the curse of oak island called uh beyond oak island so one of the episodes featured Christian. Um, And I'm going to let him talk a little bit about uh, that whole experience and and what it was that you guys were searching for.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, if you don't mind, I'll tell the genesis of how I heard about that legend in the very first place. Absolutely, absolutely. I grew up the, the son of two divers. Both of my parents were Um, instructors and dive guides in Eastern Mexico and I was just immersed in that world Um, that's that's covered a bit on the show and you know I was just in the world of of underwater treasure hunting and and divers all of their friends would share stories of you know things most people would only dream of and uh, it was just a normal weekend and I found myself at a local dive store um, or a dive park called Athens scuba park And it's owned by a guy named Calvin Wilcher, who was also in that show. And uh, I was maybe seven years old. And there's a display cabinet in the front where he had all these coins. And at seven, you know, you you see stuff like that. And, and you know, it just blows you away. And uh, he, he decided to entertain me for a little bit. He was telling me, you know, where these coins came from. And then he told me this story about... The Hendricks lake treasure which is kind of east texas's prime treasure story and it's a very ironic story it involves pirate treasure being dumped into this oxbow formation lake called Hendricks lake which is 200 miles from the coast so you can see the irony of, of a pirate being attached to this lake but there's a long-standing legend going back, you know, um, many, many decades about the famed pirate who uh, was originally based out of New Orleans in, in Louisiana, Barataria, and eventually made his way to Galveston Island in Texas. It talks about him stealing two million in silver ingots from the Spanish ship called the Santa Rosa. And ordering a, a group of smugglers to take this north. And as they are traveling through Spanish, Texas, the Spanish army catches up. And it's it's your stereotypical treasure story. One group is running away with the treasure. Another group catches up. They need to ditch it fast. And so thus came the story of, of this group of smugglers dumping these wagons of silver into this small lake in East Texas. And uh, that's what we were featured in the show for it was the first time this legend was ever featured on television super cool opportunity and uh, I'm just blown away that it was nearly 2 million that it premiered to got to hear that story
0: yeah so that was one of the episodes that caught our attention yeah uh, um, so I gotta so <clears throat> <the laughs> I gotta be careful here um Talk to us about, how did you get in touch with Prometheus to, to get your story out there?
2: Yeah. So, there was actually a beginning to this before the show, and uh, it was in 2018 when I had come up with this idea of looking into this legend again, and I got some friends together. We started tracking down. All these old articles, all these sons and daughters and, and, you know, relatives of of treasure hunters that were there in the past. And we thought this was the coolest opportunity um, and the coolest storyline for a documentary. Um, Not so much focused on a modern uh, kind of... Expedition or search for this treasure but to tell you know the storylines of what happened in the past and, and that was what really intrigued me Was was these stories for example, you know the families that would move all the way across the country um, Detectives because you know their father believed that this lake was full of pirate silver um, There's this intricate storyline that that wasn't able to be portrayed on TV, but we decided we wanted to shoot this documentary and in doing so, we contacted all sorts of historians. One of those was a man by the name of Jim Nonis, who was a co-founder of the Lafitte Society. And the Lafitte Society is kind of the last word on all things Lafitte. They've got wonderful researchers, um, you know, wonderful people. We're great friends with them. And uh, we, we had interviewed Mr. Nonis. Well, we... At some point in this, in this process... He tells us that he was contacted by a studio and we did not know who that was at the time but he tells us he was contacted by a studio and they were very interested in doing a lafitte segment so he refers that studio which i would later find out it was prometheus um, to us and he actually um, I, I think scheduling wise it didn't work out he was never able to um, give his historical knowledge via interview in that series, but um, they reached out to us because we were the closest people they could find, I guess, to a current search for anything related to Lafitte. And so that's that's how we ended up with Prometheus. I never expected that to happen in, you know, my life. I grew up watching all the Prometheus shows. I will still always remember, um, you know, the, the short phone call I had with with kevin burns where he he calls me one day and and asks me if i want to you know be be flown out and one day appear on tv to talk about pirates <laughs> and uh, that you know that's every kid's dream
0: yeah yeah as best you know for those that don't know we talked about on a couple of our oak island shows with maddie and with robert clotworthy that unfortunately kevin passed away this past year so you have a once-in-a-lifetime experience right there. Absolutely. So talk to us a little about the prep for the show. And, uh, you know, for those in our listening audience that have not seen your episode, uh, talk about a little bit what exactly what went on.
2: Yeah. So in terms of prep for the show there was really not a lot Um, kind of when you work in reality TV or or any sort of um, television show kind of when they say things are happening those are happening so there's not a lot of there's not a lot of wiggle room for for preparing or anything like that when things are happening things are happening Um, so I, I first get a call and in my mind, I saw this as I might be able to be on TV one day. This it was during the pandemic. I get a phone call. I'm thinking I'm going to be, you know, 30 seconds in, at the end of some show that the History Channel is doing, where I get to say, "Yeah, there's also a Lafitte legend in Texas," and you know that was my 30 seconds of fame. I thought it was a very small part of you know a, a much wider show and then the the pandemic happens everything kind of shuts down all all la based studios you know there's no filming and then i get a call out of nowhere and it says you know i think it was a, a wednesday or thursday and it says hey we need you to test negative by saturday so we can get you on a plane it's <laughs> quick
1: <laughs> so so no real warning, just kind of, hey, be ready to go. Uh,
2: absolutely, be ready to go. Um, so
0: remind me, did you go to Hollywood or did you go to Oak Island? I'm trying to remember how that episode played out on TV.
2: Yeah, I, I was I was in the war room. That's yeah. what I thought. I yeah, thought that you was were, the interview. I remember yeah. that.
0: So just so you know, three of us sitting here have been to Oak Island. So Keep we, rubbing that in. Yeah, we're rubbing that in on Dwayne, who hadn't <laughs> been there. But yeah, so I thought you were in the war room, so. That's even a, that's a pretty big feat, given the fact that the border was still closed. So that was, okay,
2: yeah. I cool. mean, it, it, it was you know every bit it is on on TV. It's it's kind of one of those things where halfway through that that quick filming sequence and and you know there's so much they have to film. You know, there's so much setup time, loadout time. You kind of get you know pushed in the room once you're done. You know. We've got to get on to the next thing, you know, filming schedules are so tight. Um, it's it's kind of, you know, just, just shocking. It was one of those things halfway through I was, you know, looking around and thinking, holy crap, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's Marty that I remember watching. I, I haven't been able to keep up with the show um, as I probably should have, but... You know, it, it was a, such a big part of like my my teenage years, and and watching that show right. being so interested, and uh, it's it's helped to keep Treasure relevant in in U.S. culture and and uh, oh, culture around the world. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. So, uh, since you haven't been able to keep up, uh, spoiler alert!
3: Yeah, you need to catch up.
0: It's in the swamp. It's, it's getting it's more in interesting. the swamp. <laughs> so that's all we're going the story, to store yeah the story it's is getting more interesting all the yeah. time yeah yeah so do i'm assuming with your tight schedule you didn't really get to look around oak island a whole lot then either
2: no um it was it was really i got to see a lot of you know uh <laughs> my hotel room got to see a lot of the <laughs> war room for about 20 minutes and then uh but it, every, everyone was wonderful I can't applaud Prometheus enough for being, you know, just a wonderful production company. And and seeing the the shows that I have, and knowing what can go on behind the scenes in reality TV, you know, I was I was worried. I didn't want, you know, words to be twisted. I didn't want anything to be you know faked or, or played up for TV. But everything was so authentic with Prometheus, and you know, it was I. It would it immediately calmed all my worries when when I met all the guys and you know, reality TV kind of has that taboo to it, to where if you want to be taken seriously, you know that's not exactly what you consider. But I cannot applaud Prometheus enough.
0: Well, you know yeah. they they are their their goal is to unearth history that's being lost, um, and and that's you know that's what they're doing on Oak Island, you know their big show that everybody you know has been around forever is Ancient Aliens you know whether you believe in those theories or not you know they put fact behind all of it it's just not pie in the sky and just because somebody you know had a dream last night this is the way they think it is there's actually facts behind it and that's the way they present Oak Island it's the way they presented um, you know the show you were on and and a lot of their specials they do it's just it's good television uh, I mean, there's bad television out there, but and I think all, all of us here would agree. Prometheus is part of the good television out there. So
3: yeah, yep. and, and Alan mentioned that, uh, Christian that we interviewed Robert Clotworthy a few weeks ago, and he was pretty close with Kevin Burns. And just what we got out of that from from Robert was, you know, Prometheus is is. You know, Kevin was the heart of that, and that's what he was all about. And it was his, it was his drive to be authentic, and um, and it and it shows. And it, you know, I, I think that's what you kind of kind of came away with. Sounds like from your experience.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Kevin Burns and Prometheus have really perfected that art of of storytelling on television. There's, you know, they, they do get. You know, off to both ends of the spectrum and and they hit all the extremes with Ancient Aliens and Curse Island and all these other shows, but it's it's wonderfully entertaining and You know whether you believe it or not it it makes for great stories and my Opinion on on how you should interpret stories has changed a lot over the last few years after looking at the treasure. I, I no longer see it as as true false you know, a lot of times I, I like to see connections in it and, you know, where it resonates with people um, in, in their beliefs. And ultimately, you know, if if you are entertained, if if you feel that is your what if, you know, that's that's a great way to enjoy stories.
4: So if I could ask a question, Christian, um, you said true West magazine 1957 is when the article was written. I believe that was before the Oak Island. Am I right? Uh, The question I have is now you've worked in in doing research and for this treasure in the lake. What evidence have you found to
2: keep you want to keep looking for it? So I will tease just a little bit here.
4: (laughs) Okay. Um,
2: You didn't find the holy
1: grail, did you?
2: We have been... uh, (laughs) It depends on what you consider the Holy Grail. Uh, you know, <laughs> mine be might be a little different. And
3: there's a tease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: so, so we have been working on a, a documentary um, about this lake and, and what happened at the lake um, for the last two years, about. The, the idea happened about three years ago. We've been kind of slowly filming for about two years, and... We were able to, you know, beyond the show, we were able to go back and recover things that, that significantly add to the story. Um, in addition, one of the other guys that was featured in the show, Gary Pinkerton, he's a wonderful historian. And, uh, I think that the show described him as, as being on like alligator watch at the lake. Right. And, uh, there's some, some nasty stuff at the lake, and I, I can get into diving stories, but uh, we had no clue who he was when we first announced that we wanted to do this. We knew that he had written a book about that smuggling trail that went, you know, north south right there at the lake. And uh, we reached out to him and say, hey, we are really interested in doing this documentary and focusing it on on some of those searches that occurred in the the 1950s and 1960s and within minutes he emails back and he's like this is freaky um i've just started writing a book about that exact thing so we we became great friends with him he got us more connections than we could have ever imagined um but he in his research unearthed quite a bit that significantly changes the story, um, in my opinion, for the better. And uh, it's it's a really interesting kind of cross section of, of folklore. And I think this is one of those perfect instances where you can see how a story, both the telling and the interpretation, change over time. Indyx Lake is, is really similar to Oak Island in a lot of ways. You know, Maddie told us that. Um, not just, you know, the nasty conditions in the swamp and the nasty conditions in the lake, but just uh, kind of the, the types of people that, that were there um, searching the, the types of stuff that, uh, you know, is, is said about it. It's It's got the, the paranormal tinge and, and stories of curses and... And these, you know, nasty animals or, or ghosts keeping people away. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar to Oak Island. And it's, it's similar in the sense that Oak Island is one of the few treasure stories where something is found and you have to work backward to try to explain what you've been finding right that's the entire premise of the show so many i mean 90 plus percent of treasure legends out there say this happened you know go search here but it, it in oak island you know at hendrix lake a lot of the time it's been you know we found something really weird how do we explain this and it's the same thing that happens when when you're a kid, when you when you find something metal detecting, you know, you find a an old musket ball in in the backyard. And to you, um it it can never be something as mundane as, you know, someone that was living here before just dropped a musket ball. To you, you know, this is evidence that a battle took place here. That <laughs> <Right. laughs> battle sure. was was right. over treasure. Um and so therefore logically, you know, the treasure should be close by. Right so it's it's very similar to oak island in that sense to where you work backward and there's a rich history that doesn't always get seen
4: okay. so at, on that i had asked a question to the oak island uh, couple that we had talked about um beyond oak island um or i asked for um, prior before oak island and if they if you have you done any work at tracking the this suspected treasure back to the ships and where the ships came from at this point? Yeah. Um, okay. So, is this is something for the listeners. Yeah. To know? So,
0: what I'd like to do is go from I'd like to finish the Beyond Oak Island experience, okay. and then dive into that. Did that little, okay. Yeah. Great. So. Okay. That way, we're kind of in chronological order here, so okay. no okay. uh, I just my my yeah. I'm going, my mind's going crazy on this yeah so. well I, the answers are all right here <laughs> 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 so Christian, uh, going back to beyond Oak Island, so you did your interview on Oak Island, uh, I'm assuming you went directly from there back to Texas
2: yeah that was that was basically it once they uh, figure out you know. Logistically when they're coming down, they're coming down.
1: So to make that hour, how much how much filming did they really do? I mean is there, you know, forty hours of filming to get a one hour show or or was it just a quick you know, how long did it take to get enough content to make the show for what they had?
2: Hmm. Um I believe i was in the war room couldn't have been any more than an hour it, you know all, all of that stuff felt uh, you know like they were great takes they would um, you know i i remember it, <laughs> i knew i was a big hit when when you know i would just see see marty and rick smiling and and they would look over at you know producers or whatever just knowing that yeah this stuff is going to make the show this is this is making for great stuff but ultimately we did not know what exactly would be done in texas um until after what gets fleshed out in the war room it kind of relies on what what rick and marty say what they recommend um it it definitely relied on that. And in Texas, we actually filmed. I'm trying to think of, of how much filming got done. It was kind of in between hurricanes, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I remember and a storm so, rolled in that yeah. one
1: day you were out there.
2: Oh, yeah, which, you know, a lot of people say, oh, of course the storm hit. I can attest oh, God, I right the heaviest downpour of my entire life occurred. <laughs> during that shoot um, and, and I remember we, we were on our way back and then the production boat was, was filming us they're covered in tarps the four of us on the boat are getting soaked um, it, it was just you know nasty it, Maddie, you know texts me later when he had saw uh, he had seen the first cut of, of the episode and he's like man this this one shot where we're going down the lake in the rain you know, it looks like they shot this for a for a Vietnam War movie. <laughs> it's like you know that's that's kind of what it felt like. You, you know,
1: this, <laughs> felt like you, you know, were in battle.
2: Trees overhanging, but I, it was you know we've got thirty minutes of daylight in between these two storms. It was kind of like get out on the water, <laughs> rush back in, take cover. Um, it, it was it was kind of one of those situations, and and I talked to Gary Drayton for a bit, and he told me that that he kind of had to get used to wanting to you know he, he had to get used to the reality tv workflow for a treasure hunter which he told me was you know for every one hour of filming you get about five minutes of actual metal detecting there are so many you know close-ups they need to get once you find something with your hand there are so many you know angles need they need to make sure they have and so you're 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 paused a couple of times it's stuff like that um but you know we got everything over that short period on the lake i think it was you know two or three trips out and uh you know just just storms in between all of that
0: right right so talk to us about your experiences with maddie
2: oh man so I was told very late that he was coming And I kind of it, I, I knew who he was from from drilling down um, But I, I wanted to do this thing when we met at the airport We met at, at O'Hare on, on a connecting flight And uh, I said, you know, I am going to introduce myself And act like I recognize it from something that's not Oak Island So I looked up what I thought was the most obscure commercial that he had ever appeared in. <laughs> and uh, I think it was a, a soup commercial. And so he introduces himself. He's like, Hey, I'm Maddie. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, yeah, from the soup commercial. <laughs> but it, he, is, he is absolutely wonderful. And it's funny, the entire time, you know, we'd, we'd be sitting out in the truck in between, you know, these torrential downpours just waiting on some some sunlight and we wouldn't be talking about filming or or treasure at all we would we would be talking about the paranormal and you know all these little so (laughs) side stories
0: yeah so do you listen to his podcast rated p for paranormal
2: i do i do so
0: you know he is he and alan uh mr Arkin, are definitely into it big time yeah anthony Arkin. uh and it's a fun podcast to listen to. So, he's a friend of the show, Matty is. And actually, a couple of weeks ago, he gave us a nice shout-out on that show, uh, on that podcast. So, we interviewed him for about an hour and a half. Uh, and not to I don't want to make your head swell any, but you were one of the favorite people he's met so far doing <laughs> the Beyond Oak Island. So, uh, he really... know he enjoyed spending time with you as much as you did with him so
3: yeah we got a good feel for how those conversations could go in a pickup truck because we our interview with him (laughs) was just we covered all kinds of stuff and it it wasn't just oak island and it was it was talking to him a little about his podcast and and uh, beyond oak island and then you know he's just a fun guy to to just I mean, have a you conversation know, with. Yeah. Unfortunately, we we weren't as lucky as you were to meet him in person, but I'm sure I'm sure uh that's that's a whole another level of uh of uh you know what we had and the feeling we got with the guy
1: well, we'll th- I mean, I'm sure Alan will throw out the invitation. There's a Gator Fry happening this year in Indiana that Maddie's invited to. So if Maddie shows up, you've got to show up too. This fall. So just to, just <laughs> putting it out there now. Wonderful. And, and it's in Indiana. Gator Fry in Indiana. it's it really yeah. special.
2: They
3: don't get better than in Indiana.
2: <laughs> oh man, that's that's so so good. I've got a funny story with Maddie as well, which shows a lot about uh, you know it it's it was when we were were shooting. In Texas, and I mentioned we were shooting this documentary, and he was wonderfully nice enough to agree um, to be in it. We we interviewed him. We talked about treasure awesome. for a little bit, awesome. and you know why he thinks treasure has has this allure in people's lives, and why he thinks the shows are so successful. Um, but he, you know, completely opposite to you know what you think these. <laughs> Television hosts are like was so gracious to give us an interview and uh, cram in this this hotel room in, in Texas with us and, and talk to us for you know forty five minutes to an hour and uh, the the funny thing oh my goodness the funny thing about that interview and uh, uh, you know I hope Maddie remembers this but we we are a pretty small film crew pretty low budget. Um, and I had these cheap lights that I was taking up that day specifically for that interview. I said, you know, I just need to bring these up. Uh, they had been sitting in the garage. I did not realize, but I, I had a, a cat, I had a, a young cat that, that loved to, you know, be all around that, that bag of lights, these, these cheap stand-up lights. And this cat, it, it, it peed on the lights. and so not only was maddie crammed in this this interview but these lights smelled absolutely terrible (laughs) not like hot cat pee yeah (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's one of my one of my favorite stories And, and you you kind of understand that when you're when you're on these shows is that it's not you know actually what gets filmed that you enjoy the most it's it's you know,
0: it's what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, the process. I'll never
2: tell people that that you know Maddie and I were on TV. You know, looking for treasure together. I will always tell people that yeah, we had an interview with Maddie Blake in this small hotel room, and it smelled like cat pee the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jeez.
0: too funny, too funny. So the show ended up. Uh, unfortunately, you guys got kind of rained out as you were searching for the treasure on the on the river or the lake so Mm -hmm. you know i know from talking to you tonight a little bit and doing some research that uh you're the movie maker now and and you're doing a documentary and so tell us how that process is going
2: Uh, Oh man i've spent i think 12 hours today (laughs) close to it um Going through all these quotes that we have from people trying to to work on a script Um, It's you know, I'm I'm really proud of it. I I, this was a kind of a very close Subject to my heart for a long time and being able to try to advance the story of this place Um, Whether it, it converts new believers or whether we present something that that maybe convinces someone otherwise um you know i'm I'm excited to to get that done it's it's uh just about done with with filming um i think we have two more short things to film and then we get this thing written and edited and uh i actually got a buddy from argentina who's going to score it for us that was a a big deal to me that i get um for a Spanish treasure it should have kind of a, a fitting yeah. score
1: right well I think the coolest thing about what you're doing and going back to the, you know Oak Island and, and all these treasure shows is you're preserving history you know for the future and for eternity I mean it's it's always going to be out there the stories are the stories are disappearing the people that know the information of all these different things are, are passing on and you know they aren't passing down the stories like it used to be. With technology today, nobody wants to sit around a table and listen to stories. They want to sit on their phone or, or, you know, search the web, do whatever. You know, the storytelling like it used to be is disappearing, so... You know, it's nice to, to see these stories being preserved for future generations to go back on. And, you know, hey, I'm, w- what happened here? Hey, we can go watch this documentary and, and get kind of a history lesson in a, you know, in a couple hours of what this whole story was. And, you know, that's just that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, storytelling is really, um, you know, how we unite. That's, that's why, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm still 24 years old. And in Texas, and I'm talking to, to four guys in Indiana of a completely different life experience, a completely different, you know, right. um, childhood, you know, age. Uh, you know, that's why we're able to share these these moments. That's why I was able to, in my documentary, we talked to a man, you know, within weeks of, of passing away. And, you know, he was at the end of his life. But, you know, this story was so important to him that he saw it. You know worth his while to to share with us
1: and that and right. that right there is really cool that you've got to get his get his words and his story preserved you know you know especially, i mean i mean it's sad right but right before he passed you know you've preserved his 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 story you know for for everybody else to see and hear that's that's really cool
0: yeah so Ruben was asking you about the, a little of the background on the the treasure and so fill us in
2: so you mean this this ship yes
0: yes please
4: okay i'm i can tell you you've got me captivated i'm a treasure guy and i'm pretty excited to learn more about this because i really want to follow this very heavily so
1: he's moving to texas tomorrow to start digging so <laughs> he needs an address he's an address <laughs> yeah, for yeah, the we gps
2: we need we need help we'll put him to work hey i'll do it brother <laughs> um so the ship is is really interesting in the story, right? So this this Spanish, you know, treasure-laden ship called the Santa Rosa. Um, there, what's interesting is is there was no official Spanish record at the time of a ship called the Santa Rosa, and when we were at um, the the Texas Treasure Conference, that's that's a real thing. Um we were kind of promoting and fundraising in the early days of this documentary. And this stranger walks up to us and he has this entire chapter of a book photocopied. Anyway, from, from making the news a few weeks earlier and announcing we were doing it, he had you know hoped that we would be at this treasure conference and he shows up with this, you know, entire chapter of this book and it was this book written by a man that was in the navy and he worked in spanish archives in the 1960s and he talks about this concept of ghost ships to where at the time there were so many magazines so many movies crafting these stories of of ships that did not exist that all these americans would write to the spanish archives and the Spanish archives basically got, got really upset about this, and it was, okay, you know, today we got 100 more letters for this ghost ship. You know, they would, they would never exist. And so, you know, I always wondered if the Santa Rosa was, was one of these. Um, and we find out this actually happened. Gary Pinkerton, in his research for a book called True Believers, Treasure Hunters at Hendrix Lake... Um, tracked down one of the guys who searched in, in 1965 and found out that he had actually attempted to verify that this ship existed no one else had done that before and he doesn't get a response so he essentially has to bug his own congressman who in turn has to annoy Spain into you know getting this archival document back to him saying either it does exist or it doesn't Um, many months pass and he finally gets a letter back from Spain and this is to me is is one of the coolest parts of this story that you know it does not make it in in the public eye but the ship exists there is a record of the Santa Rosa um, leaving Havana, Cuba and around Ducati, Spain in April 1816 which is the exact year that this legend takes place. And we did all this work in the early days of the documentary tracking down these, you know, Spanish shipping routes and found out that, you know, that fits perfectly for a ship that is likely going to pick up silver freshly mined from um, eastern Mexico, most likely probably the port of, of Veracruz or, um, you know, f- further, further south in Mexico. And then taking this right across the coast of texas right along the shore where it says lafitte plundered this to Havana, cuba then going from cuba to spain but there's no record of of any treasure on board there there are spices listed there's mahogany wood listed it's this incredible record but there's no record of silver on the santa rosa and so that is the backstory to the ship it's this mystery you know could it have had silver and, and was not listed could it have been a different ship you know how did this one ship get attached to it if no one knew this ship existed for so long then why did the ship get attached and why did it get attached in exactly the year that it would have been passing in front of the texas coast it just just strange things like this that you know i don't know if there will ever be a great answer to
4: okay good
1: well, I thought I read or watched some show somewhere where sometimes they wouldn't list treasures because of piracy and other things. They would they would be listed as other stuff on the ship, except for you know the valuables. Those were kind of hidden, you know, stowed away so that no one knew they were there. Is that a possibility too? I guess or
2: absolutely, man. I I. <laughs> Seeing what I've seen in my life and, and being around the people that have found so much, you can't rule anything out. Um, you know, it's it's astounding how much is out there. Um, nothing can be ruled out. There's, I, I love to say this, but it's estimated that about 10% of all colonial wealth in the Spanish colonies is unaccounted for. 10% of it. Wow. And a lot of this is submerged in shipwrecks, however, as you saw in other episodes of Beyond and and stuff like that, it's so difficult to get permits or or so difficult to access, difficult to even find. But 10% of this Spanish colonial wealth is just unaccounted for. And so who's to say that, that any of these stories could not have at least some shred of truth?
0: Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So I know you don't want to give a whole lot away because your movie's coming out. uh, But I'm, if I was a betting man, I would say perhaps uh, you found a little bit more than you did when you were on the Beyond Oak Island show.
2: Um, When we were on Beyond, we found a piece of wood. And so I can proudly say that we found more than that. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. Right. Perfect. Good
1: answer. Good
2: answer. In in the month since we found several pieces of wood. <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: great. So,
2: so, so that's something to look forward
3: to. Yeah, so as, and, and speaking of looking forward, so is there a is there a target date or rough target date for, for when you think this uh, your documentary is gonna be out?
2: I am hoping to have this thing wrapped up and being scored in the process of being scored by the end of the month. Wow.
3: Um,
2: wow. in terms of when it is publicly available um probably will be one of the later months this year i'll also see um you know if if a second season of beyond does happen if you know they wanted to you know reveal some of that information first that's okay with me um we've also looked at doing festival runs in that case we would not be able to publicly show it in advance of some of the festivals but you know for you guys i'd, I'd gladly show it in, in private and, and you guys will be able to see it um
0: hey sign us up right yeah right,
1: <laughs>
2: what, yep. what hotel room we got to cram yeah,
0: into yeah, in yeah. texas and i don't care
1: what the lights smell like <laughs> <laughs>
3: Hey, we're always up for an adventure so yeah, absolutely
0: so that's right so, so how can go ahead jeff
3: well just just real quick and again without revealing too much christian um <coughs> So for years, people have been looking for this, okay, and they've, they've been targeting this lake. So, so what, was it, what was the angle or tack that you felt like you could take that was different
2: than all the other searchers before? Great question. So I can say that we probably did a little bit better job than the first search, and uh, that first search occurred in 1884. And uh, this, in doing the research for this, when I found out that this happened, that's when I knew that we had a good story. But in 1884, the son of the founder where this this lake is, the, the town of Tatum, his name was Paul Tatum. And he had made an attempt to drain this lake because he believed that there was treasure in the bottom. And he had built this machine. He was actually a pretty smart man. I mean, he had patents, to his name, and, and he uh, made this attempt to drain the lake in 1884 using a a steam-powered kind of conveyor belt, and he tried to drain the lake one bucket at a time. Wow. And uh, it did not go well. well <laughs> right. so
1: go figure. Gary's
2: it. A, a great historian, and I don't know how he finds stuff, but he finds articles of, of Tatum being mocked. And at some point, a man named William Downs mocks Tatum, and there's an argument that ensues. And uh, Paul Tatum clubs William Downs to death. I was gonna
0: say in 1884, that's either a shooting, a knifing, or a clubbing.
2: Yeah, that's and that's what happens. So you know, good treasure stories, you know, start out with a death. You know, there's there's really. <laughs> No other way to say it than, you know, that it just fits for Texas in the 1880s. Um, and, it, and it gives it that much more mystery that, you know, why was this man so convinced that that he his perspective was right on there being something in this lake that he was willing to go to that extent? Um, I got it. So that happened in the 1880s. Really, nothing happens between here and there that's well documented we know that that people really went all up and down this this smuggling trail digging holes everywhere um it it involves a smuggler by the name of nicholas trammell who's got several different treasure legends attached to his name he was just one of those mysterious types that you know you tend to have treasure legends attached to whether those had any truth to them or not, you know, that's, that's up for debate. But uh, Hendricks Lake was the one legend involving the smuggling trail that, that stuck. And r- really nothing notable happens in the next few decades. In 1935, there was this nationwide article published in, in several large newspapers that uh, really fleshed out the details in this story. And again, you know, 1935, not a lot of money in East Texas. No one has any means to search, so so really nothing happens. But really, in the in the 50s, you see this big boom in in treasure hunting. You know, it's after World War II. People have additional income, and and these treasure stories really take off. Um, I think that's that's when Oak Island gained a lot of. Um, prominence as well in in these magazines in the fifties and sixties, and, and that's when that True West article came out. And there were magazines in in the late fifties, throughout the sixties, even into the early seventies, that um, showcased this lake. and And there were always disagreements. You know, is it silver? Is it gold? You know, every every summer it seemed like it was a new group of treasure hunters going in, um, and and everything's been been tried. They've done kind of archaic diving. One of my favorite photos is really kind of the grandfather, treasure Hunter, of this entire story, um, where he kind of built his own diving face mask, and they uh, rode him out in a boat. He tipped over the side, and then they pumped oxygen down to him. It was, you know, very, you know, low-tech stuff at first throughout the, the 50s and 60s. In the 60s, there was a very well-funded search for it where they they nearly tipped over a crane. Um, The lake had had flooded and ruined everything, and it was the same man that 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 researched on the ship, and he had actually tried to contact Gene Dixon, who was the world's most famous psychic at the time, to try to get her to help. So, you know, everything's been used. Um, Gary had this saying... Where he used all this alliteration to describe what has happened at the lake, and it was something like, "Yeah, it's been it's been dynamited, it's been dived, it's been dredged, it's been drained, uh, dowsing rods, and now a documentary." <laughs> so, our mindset was that first, let's start since there was about 50 years of silence in between that last major search and when we picked up an interest in it. Really, the last major activity was in about 1969. And uh, these 50 years of silence, nothing happens. The lake, you know, switches hands. Plenty of the lake and surrounding areas have been mined. So if there was anything around the lake, you know, it it would have long been found by now. Um, Just modernization everywhere around the lake. But the lake is still this perfectly... Tucked away, kind of um, Eden almost. It's, you know, you see these crazy animals out there. You cannot tell there is any human interference anywhere around it. Um, but but around it, it's it's you know gone through all this, you know, deforestation, mining, whatever it may be. Um, but but our mindset to it was: let's look at the historical record. What can we figure out? What can we look into? about this ship what can we look into with the connection between nicholas Tremlage on the feet can we prove any of this can we disprove any of this um we wanted to start on paper and you know at a library first a lot of people you know think treasure hunting is immediately going out to the field and and digging something up no it's 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 kind of 90 percent research you know coming up with with new theories even crossing things off um but we were the first ones to to dive in 50 years with much better equipment i should add um much better detectors we've used you know absolutely top of the line detectors out there and we were the very first ones to do any sort of sonar scan at the lake so we vastly improved uh, you know what has been done in terms of searches at the lake, right. even the, with the method, time out Yeah. So,
3: so you had the the benefit of the the technology that they didn't have 50 years ago to to really be able to go a lot deeper on it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and every day, I think you know, if if those guys in in the 1950s could see what we we're doing now, you know, they would be absolutely amazed. They they could have been done with what they were doing in about 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <Wow. laughs>
0: Yeah, times have definitely changed, definitely changed. So tell us where we're going to be able to find your documentary movie once it's out and released. Is it something you're going to do on YouTube, something you're going to do? uh, I think you alluded a little bit, maybe to the History Channel. I mean, what's your aspirations of where you're going to market it to?
2: Uh, Amazon Prime and it will be available to anyone um, who watches via Prime yeah
0: awesome awesome so we can all see it but we're coming down for the private screening first first. we're (laughs) waiting for the private
1: screening when I know and and you were and I read your articles and stuff too that you're you know we're looking for funding and and trying to assist is that still something that's going on in case any of our listeners want to contribute or help or are you set with your budget or um
2: yeah you you know we're, we're Pretty much set. We, we'd never turn out, turn down, you know, donations if anyone, you know, is is really um,
0: got money really in your pocket in yeah.
2: helping this out. Yeah, well, you um, never know. But <laughs> it's all, yeah, it's it's all self funded. You know, it was me, you know, working until I had enough money to do this, you know, and then saving up for the next shoot, and then saving up for you know whatever detector or dive gear I needed, and then buying that and doing the next shoot. So it's it's all been. You know so, very much self-funded so what, yeah
0: so what do you do for a, I hate to ask this question but what do you do for a day job besides
1: all, all your being a world hunting? famous producer yeah. and actor or is <laughs> that all you've been doing
0: Trigger. I mean I, I mean that could be I mean if you spent 12 hours a day obviously that's all you're
2: doing yeah yeah so I, I do that a lot um, I also shoot you know quite a bit outside of of personal stuff I shoot lots of weddings. Um, before the pandemic hit I was um, also involved in um, coaching tennis um, but yeah it's it's I've found a, a got, good situation you, yeah where you got I can a niche what I'm doing yeah
0: that's awesome that's awesome for so for everybody listening you're listening to Christian B Roper uh, and you can you know we've been talking about his appearance on Beyond Oak Island, you can find that on the History Channel. Uh, or if you want to catch the reruns, you can go to the history.com, historychannel.com and find it there. Does anybody else have questions for Christian about the treasure?
3: Well, maybe not so much about the treasure, but, um, you know, oh. Christian, you're you're all of 24, I think I heard you say. So I guess as excited as I am to... See this documentary. I, I guess I'm I'm pretty excited to see what you're going to do down the road. So, do you do you have like your next target in sight?
2: Um. So, yeah, yeah. I've I think I want to stay in television. Um, believe it or not, before I did any of this, I was offered within about a maybe a day or two of announcing that we were making this. Um, was asked to pitch a TV series um, I've since gotten very interested in the the stories regarding the disappearance and death of Jean Lafitte i love um, it, you know these TV series that, that investigate that, that that try to solve things and so i've i've been looking to several different things I also you know produce quite a bit i do a little bit of, of underwater videography um but i'd love to stay in, in tv whether that's in front of the camera or behind it whether it's you know researching a lot of these stories there's a lot of opportunity out there and uh you know it's pretty you know em- emotional and then rewarding to see people that you know it, it took them you know, decades to to figure out how to get themselves in that situation, and I just kind of lucked into it. I'm always under the impression that someone out there is always smarter, more determined, um, you know, and just better. But they may not have the opportunity. So every opportunity that comes my way, you know, I I'm very thankful for it. I'd love to take it, but I do think I would love to to remain in TV.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, any more questions about treasure for Christian?
4: Mm-hmm. I have a lot of them, but I'm going to wait till the documentary comes out. I'm pretty excited about yeah, that. Yeah. I think it's,
0: we're going to have to have a follow-up after it's yeah. released on... Well, we're going down there to watch it in the hotel room <laughs> with, the <cat> pee, <laughs> with the cat pee lights. <laughs> Sign us up, and we'll yeah. pick Matty up yeah. on the way. We won't <laughs> complain a bit. Yeah, so we're going to have Christian on next week as our guest as well, and he's going to be talking about the paranormal. So you're not going to want to miss that. So for cross the line fifteen twenty four, I'm Alan Stanger with
1: Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, Ruben Hunt, and
0: on our line we've got
1: Christian Blake Roper,
0: and we'll see you next time. All right, we're here with Gage Pace from Top Sale Hemp. Gage, what do you got for us today?
2: Right now we got some CBD oil, five hundred milligram CBD oil. We have mint and natural flavor and that is a tincture that goes under your tongue and use it any day you want, anytime you want. I've got bath bombs, CBD bath bombs, or I believe 100 milligrams of CBD in those, and those are really good for when you wanna relax. You gotta take a bath, you set, drop that in there and it bubbles up and releases the CBD along with other things, I think it smells lavender. So it's got a whole bundle of different stuff inside of it that can be used for relaxation. Um, I have smokable pre-rolls with the wife strain and it was grown here in Indiana organically. Those pre-rolls are really great for before as well, before you go to bed. It helps with relaxation. It's also known to help with muscle and pain, stiffness, and just overall relaxation of the body and well-being. Awesome. So
0: all of your products you, you have are below the 0.3% THC. So they're all legal?
2: Yes, sir. All of them are legal. Good deal. All good to go.
0: Once again, it's Gage Paste with Top Sale Hemp can check his website out at topsailhemp.com. He's a local boy right here from Indiana. Oh, That's right. Another proud sponsor of Cross the Line 1524 is Topsail Hemp. Go visit him on the web at topsailhemp.com. That's right. That's our buddy Gage Pace from Topsail Hemp. Give him a try. He's got some great... Uh, cbd products so what a fun time we had talking to christian roper uh, talking about his experience on beyond oak island as well as his own movie making experience he's going through and uh his treasure hunting his background uh it's been great having special guests on here and christian just one more of those uh this is part one of a two-parter uh next week he'll be on talking about uh, some paranormal experiences he's had and uh maybe a little uh Sasquatch Talk. So if you like our podcast, make sure you leave us a five-star rating on whatever app you use well, and a positive comment. It just helps get our, the word out there. Uh, if you'd like to leave us a comment or get, send us an email, just email us at podcast at crosstheline1524.com or go to our website www.crosstheline1524.com and you can leave a comment there. It's been a great night. So for Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, Ruben Hunt, I'm Alan Stanger, and you've been listening to Cross the Line 1524.